Many have marked the speed with which Moadib learned the necessities of Arrakis. The Bene Gesserit, of course, know the basis of the speed. For the others, we can say that Moadib learned rapidly because his first training was in how to learn, and the first lesson of all was the basic trust that he could learn. It is shocking to find how many people do not believe they can learn, and how many more believe learning to be difficult. Moadib knew that every experience carries its lesson. From The Humanity of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. Each week we discuss a chapter over a new bottle of wine in Frank Herbert's Dune. And this week, I've picked up a new bottle, Mike. We got? Uh, we got uh, a Malbec uh, coming out of the Columbia Valley in Washington State. And this one's called Undaunted. Lovely. Yeah, I remember picking that one out with you. It's yeah, uh, and clearly uh, we always go for aesthetic reasons, and yep. we judge books by their cover. <laughs> and this one just has a stag on the front with these golden antlers, kind of curled up towards the top of the bottle, and it, it gives it a, a really kind of noble, uh, very simplified feeling yeah. in the front. And what is it called? It's undaunted. Undaunted. Wow. Uh, so I don't know where we're going to ascribe that to in this chapter. Maybe to Mapes's reaction uh, comes <laughs> the end of it. But that is the wine we got. Maybe Paul's. I don't know. Both. They both kept their cool, (laughs) for sure. Uh, But how's your your week been? You know, it's been pretty good. You know, things are crazy in the world right now, but we're making it through one day at a time. uh, I'm very excited. I got a fancy new book in the mail. Oh, that's Yeah, that is true. You should take some time. We might as well tell people about this. Yeah, no. So, I mean, show it off. I'm sure if you're a fan of the book, you heard that they released a a special edition hardcover with uh, sort of a uh, blue-edged paper it's it's really beautiful looking yeah it's got so a bright that, orange so that whole trim is kind of guy yeah it's got yeah. that nice blue blue and but, blue uh, kind of look to it i'm um, notorious for destroying book jackets though so we went ahead and put that on the bookshelf <laughs> <You got that. laughs> it's archived <laughs> it's currently uh currently sharing a space with uh, hitchhiker's guide right now yeah i'm excited for it that's awesome i'm i'm jealous of it uh I was tempted to buy that for myself as well. Oh, yeah. I, I've been holding back just so I don't have too many copies well, of Dune on hand. But You'll be happy to know I have a surprise for you coming in the mail. Ooh. It's not here it, yet. Okay. This is a teaser of a teaser. Yeah. <laughs> When's it going to get here? I don't know when it's going to get here. All right. Mail well. doesn't make sense anymore to me. <laughs> <laughs> on the edge of my seat, Mike. And I guess I shall remain here. <laughs> well, that is great. You enjoy that copy. Mm-hmm. We're coming back this week. We, uh, behind the scenes, took a week off, too. So we are a little out of our rhythm, but we're getting back into it. We're deep into Arrakis, and we're moving on to Chapter 9 at this point. Yeah. So things are moving pretty quickly. Do you remember how that last chapter ended? Yeah, it uh, ended with uh, Jessica speaking with Yui, and Jessica left. What was it? She was sent... No, she wasn't sent anywhere. She she had that... um, well, it was a foreboding feeling that drove her there. So she went, she finally checked on Paul. Paul was cool. So she's going to explore the uh, rest of the, I believe it's the South Wing that we're looking yeah, at. Yeah, to check Eric on the King rooms Palace. and like assign them. 
Yeah, yeah. We just said the Duke had let her know that, like, the nicer part of the house was on this side. So, yeah, we're looking at bedrooms. Uh, and then this one is actually going to start us off where, so Jessica's kind of left Yui in that. And we are going to slink in and take a look on where Paul was. Yeah, well, this take, yeah, this takes place sort of during the last half of that conversation there. Yeah, we get a little bit of a time overlap. Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. This is going to happen for the next couple chapters. We're okay. going to kind of jute around a little bit forward and back, you know, mm-hmm. 30 mm-hmm. minutes, 40 minutes here and there. Um, so I, I loved how this one started. Uh, right before we jump into that, I do want to talk to you about this quote okay. uh, that we got on the top here. It's talking about all about how Moabdeeb is knows to learn mm-hmm. and that he can learn. And this is something that most people just aren't able to recognize. And I think this is just a great kind of Zen maxim that's coming through. Uh, it feels like a very Bene Gesserit kind of lesson. And I think we've we've seen this exercised in Paul in these last few chapters, even just looking back at that um, discussion between Duke Leto and Paul when he reveals that Paul is a mentat. Mm-hmm. And we see Paul go, you know, he does that, starts to explain like, oh, it's not possible. You have to, oh, <laughs> that kind of <laughs> reassessment. Um, starts rewriting some things so it's interesting that he chooses at this point to put that in front of us before we engage with paul in this hunter seeker that's mm-hmm. about to kind of come out mm. yeah <laughs> that's all that's the sound you got the sound of a hunter seeker yeah but like you said uh we do a little time jump and so when jessica looked in paul was asleep and i'm putting quotation marks up right now i on know the bed. And we find out Paul was not. Just like chapter one. Oh, it's almost like he sneaky, foreshadowed it. Sneaky little brat. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. Guys could tell that Paul was faking. Yes. Lady Jessica, it doesn't seem like she could. Mm-mm. Seems like he actually tricked her. Two for two. Oh, oh for two, right? Oh, well, if you count Yui, but he's No, good. no, I'm saying I think he tricked her in the chapter one. Oh, uh, oh, I and see. Then yeah, yeah. He tricked her again. She just, like, she's losing it. I don't know, man. <laughs> Jessica's slipping. <laughs> Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just like this, uh, this innocent curiosity is meeting kind of the dangers of his world, uh, where I feel like that feigning of sleep is also a little bit of a cautiousness kind of on his part. Mm -hmm. Like he does want to go explore and there's this childish nature to it. Um, but sort of his awareness of these things all around him. And we're going to see how quickly he reacts, even though he's sort of in this like really uh, excited and I'm going to go kind of have fun mode. Right. Uh, we haven't really seen Paul in. He's never gotten to play just yet. Yeah, that's true. This is like as close as we got to that. And it gets a little interrupted. I would like to say I'm a bit disappointed that my Dr. Yui trank gun theory is out the window now. It yeah. says that he did go ahead and like uh, palm the palm. Yeah, he palmed a pill. Yeah. So, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the doctor is a little more normal than that. <laughs> Safari Yui. <laughs> Most dangerous game, Derek. That's that's. I think that's Yui's second step. Like when he looks in and Paul's gone. That's he's how he like, gets the gold ring. Get the trank gun. <laughs> Chasing down the ducal air. Uh, but I like how Paul even does a little little mental gymnastics to get himself out of being in yeah. trouble. Where he's just like, if I don't ask, I haven't disobeyed anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's I I completely uh, sympathize with that. Like as a kid, like that was like, oh, I sympathize. But they didn't say no. <laughs> I recognize that the intent negates any uh, attempt at obedience <laughs> of him knowing what he's doing. Is the that's exception. when you use those puppy dog eyes and be like, I didn't know those beautiful green eyes he <laughs> yeah. still has, yeah, yeah. like his mother's. Uh, but yeah, uh, so easy to relate to on that. And pa- Paul pops out of bed. Yep. 
He's ready to go scampering off. Mm-hmm, he takes a mm-hmm. few steps. Oh, and he's even going towards, he's got that cool room in his, uh, door in his room, rather, where it's a bookshelf that slides he's off. He's got, I mean, like, his entire room is, uh, sort of feels like it was designed for him. Oh, I wish I had the exact word, yeah, to, like, entice him. And, uh, that, to me, was another red flag for, like, Thufir Hawat. Why would they let this kid go yeah. in this room? Uh, though, granted, Thufir has been over the room with a fine-tooth comb. We are gonna find... I, I, it's true. I do think they also do a good job in these uh, various chapters explaining that Thufir has been busy. Mm-hmm. Like he's got so much. He's hi- gone through and vetted almost all of the help. Yeah, um, I think checking we, everything we were told, himself. Like last chapter, all the men are Howitz men. Like like Leto was saying, like even Thufir has more than Leto has on his plate, and Leto has a lot on his plate. Mm-hmm. So I I do think there is a bit of a understanding there, but. I mean, yeah, you, you think we've done enough prep work to get yeah. you to like, OK, this I is how it. this would slide by through fear. Right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I think you mentioned uh, a couple chapters ago, through fear is starting to slip and like we're, we're seeing it. He, he's old. He's an old man. Right. Three generations of Atreides he's trained now. So when Paul gets up, uh, we hear a click behind him. Yeah, well, it was a. Uh, first, I guess before the click, I want to sure. talk about that. Uh, it was a bedboard. It the whole headboard? Yeah. 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 So, so it's, a, it's a click is coming from the headboard. And right. uh, I actually, I have the whole description here if you want to, we can read it out. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, so it's a false headboard attached to the wall and concealing the controls of the room's functions. A leaping fish had been shaped on the wood with thick brown waves beneath it. He knew if he pushed the fish's one visible eye, that would turn on the room's suspensor lamps. One of the waves, when twisted, controlled ventilation, and another changed the temperature. What a wild relief. Or, Isn't that cool? And uh, I believe the door to the um, room is shaped like an ornithopter thrust bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I is like, that. I've kind of told you that's a vehicle in this one. These are sort of like a fighter jet kind of vehicle. I just think it's funny. There's a motif uh, or a relief of a, a water. A, yeah, yeah. A, waves and a jumping fish on this Arakeen room. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it sort of, it made me think of the Gurney Halleck quote, like if fishes were... If fishes oh, were yeah, wishes, we'd all cast nets. Exactly. And how silly that was to like to bring to a planet with us never known fishes, I think fishes or nets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I just thought that was kind of funny and how it's just sort of like put there. But I don't know. I, yeah, another one. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a mark of this used to be the old uh, governor's mansion mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. So that would have been a sign probably of the wealth and everyone they, like retrofitted it with their own. Designs. Well, then everyone that lived here would have also probably come or been able to go to worlds that mm-hmm. were water or, or what we probably call a normal world, right, you know, right, something right. slightly temperate uh, and enjoyable. So I can see why they would want to bring that home and it would be expressed here. Um, and you're going to see, uh, even next chapter, we're going to see this expression of wealth take a whole new level. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hey, hey. But I go too far. Now, this, yeah, I mean, you go too far. We're already halfway through the chapter, Derek. I thought that the first chapter we met, Yui, was going to be the shortest chapter in the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe that was not quite true. Uh, yeah, I didn't think we'd meet a contender for that title so quickly, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to now get rid of my... <laughs> Uh, statement before <laughs> we're probably going to encounter another one oh, no. so let's just hold out for that <laughs> all right i gotta stop making these wide declarations <laughs> on dune it's been a while mm. um but so uh paul getting up and even actually before this click too he does uh think yui had given him another book 
the film book that he had to study uh, on the way over, the tyrannical life forms of Dune. Right. And what I think is intriguing here is that he says this book was from uh, pre-Guild times. This one? Yeah. I thought it was the Bible. No, because no. the, the Bible would have... Oh, been no, established no, post get so this yeah. is exactly what i wanted to get at yui gives him another ancient book that is even older than He's, the other film book just making gave. it rain ancient knowledge who's yeah. this guy indiana jones we as from going through the orange catholic bible we know that had to have been post guild because the guild let the cet travel for free on their transports uh so that only occurred to me because we did that little deep dive that this book has to be even older than that one three things that belong to museum this film book <laughs> the arch catholic bible and to fear Howard. so yeah dr yui would be like indiana jones arch nemesis <laughs> belongs in a museum <laughs> taking these books back um but this book in particular goes over uh plant life and the tyrannical life kind of all right that, right and we get a quick list uh spit out at us mm-hmm. Burrow bush, date palm, San Verbena, evening primrose, barrel cactus, goes on and on, then a few animals, the kit fox, the desert hawk, and the kangaroo mouse. See, yeah, I wanted to know this. Like last time we talked about it, you wouldn't spill any little hints about what was on Arrakis. Nope. Arrakis uh, and the Fremen are like the little black box in this book right? where like I will reveal very little. I will mislead a little bit too uh, as for what current characters and know. obviously sandworms are on this list as well. I, I didn't see them on the list, Mike. I can't confirm <laughs> anything. Uh, sorry, this felt like a comprehensive list to me. So we do three, have some plant life Three here. animals and seven plants. Um, yeah. and, uh, so the, the plants, mm-hmm. are they, is this... It says date palms. I imagine, yeah, we know there's date palms in Arakane. Are there date palms out in the desert, though? It doesn't seem like there would be with the storms. They're on the planet. So this is just sort of uh, saying anything that will survive on the planet if you put it in, like, even the most, like, sort of unnatural conditions. Yeah. Uh, And then remember, the basin is a little bit different from, like, out in the rest of the desert. True. So there are these sort of protected areas where something like that's a little more viable. Uh, And, yeah, I think this is a mix of stuff that the Imperials brought there. Right. right. uh, And, like, the Imperial family back in the day when they were doing their botanical testing stations. So I was going to say, it seems like water is a big issue and none of these would like necessarily last super long without some sort of regular i mean especially the date palm yeah uh, i mean like i imagine some uh, of the the bushes and like right cacti, yeah, i can imagine a little bit but might have a chance but yeah they need to be yeah. taking care of someone because of how extreme this planet is uh all these are real plants up to by the way mm-hmm. most of them are from the um desert out in arizona and utah okay um, so for example, like the, was it the, uh, Seguro cactus mm-hmm. is only in that desert, uh, which I found interesting cause I would have thought Frank Herbert would have taken some from like, uh, what I imagine being in like Saudi Arabia and that area. Uh, but it seems like this desert is purely the American West, uh, transposed. Okay. So all these plants are featured out in the West. Um, the date palm is a little bit of a unique one because uh, I looked up a little bit of each of these plants just because mm-hmm. one, I was like, one of these has got to be a fake, a sci-fi right, right, plant. Right. You know, <laughs> you're not going to battle set me twice, um, but they're <laughs> you, all real. You know what? And a uh, cool little bit about the date palm is we don't know where the origin of the date palm is at this point because we did so much agriculture with it uh, in like the six millennium BCE that uh, it's just kind of lost in time now. And we spread it so far over the Middle East so thoroughly. So I think that's just kind of interesting. The other cool little bit I learned was that um, plants 
are able to create chemicals that interact with other plants around them. I think I knew that. I did not know this. So uh, specifically, there's a little relationship between the burrow bush and the creosote bush. And the biological phenomenon that happens is called, uh, I might mispronounce this, so hold on with me, but uh, allelopathy. A-L-L-E-L-O-P-A-T-H-Y. Allelopathy is how I'm going to pronounce it. And this is in which an organism produces one or more biochemicals that influence the germination, growth, survival, or reproduction of other organisms. So the creosote bush excretes this chemical that uh, inhibits the growth of a burrow bush and stops the burrow bush from growing towards it. Interesting. And they speculate this is so like they are kind of like communicating over water resource. Huh. I mean, like there's only this much water. You, I need this much. We so. need a little buffer zone. Yeah, we're not going to like compete, but I'm going to slowly push you back and influence this. So that was like a really mm. interesting thing uh, that they just have that relationship. And I didn't know plants could do that. Uh, kind of have that effect on each That's other. That's really cool, actually. Kind of like an aggressive. It just that I think they're so static. Like, how would you know? But they did develop it. Then we have uh, three animals, which I can only tell you something cool about one of them. Okay. And that's going to be the kangaroo mouse. Oh, right? I, got a little, I got a little story with the kangaroo Okay, mouse. okay. Kit fox. I, I, th- I thought for sure it was going to be like the kit fox or something like that. I've seen a fox. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you heard a fox? They're terrifying. <laughs> no, I've never, he didn't make a sound. He just looked at me. <laughs> and then I walked past him. I was like, not today, sir. Oh, man. But uh, when I was in fourth grade, so this is going to be a little side story of Derek this time. Uh, <laughs> when you we were, were a wee Derek. When I was a wee Derek, uh, we were given these little assignments of like, you do a quick research of an animal. And mm-hmm. it was always based on like a biome. So we did like the jungle. Everyone in class chooses an animal. And then they do a little jungle research thing. Okay. So when we did the desert, for some reason, I couldn't come up with an animal to do. So an animal was assigned to me. <laughs> and I was assigned the kangaroo mouse. Oh. So, yeah, and uh, so I learned about it. You, I mean, all we did was assemble basically what would then become the front page of Wikipedia. Your most basic <laughs> facts, you know. It's fourth grade. We're not right. looking for an analysis of, like, what a kangaroo mouse does in the environment. Just that they exist, they're this big, and they jump. <laughs> um, so I have a little connection to that, and when it turns up in this book, uh, we're going to find it's on the second moon there is an image of a kangaroo rat yeah so when we had our art done for us you said one of the moons has to have like a little kangaroo mouse i was pretty pushy for that yeah you're i don't uh, know why you're so like well i'm gonna tell you the other i'm gonna tell you the fremen word for kangaroo mouse okay and it's a word you know okay and the word is moadib wait what so that is like the full circle connection for me so so wait moadib is the fremen word for kangaroo mouse so paul Okay, it's slightly yeah. less cool space name now. Uh, I don't know. Can't, are you, have you seen a kangaroo mouse? I guess I haven't. Coolest of all. They have these big legs and like a really long tail. And then it's just like propping up this little mouse body. Uh, it's, it's Why adorable. is he named after a kangaroo mouse? I'm going to let them tell you, Mike. We're going to get there when he gets his name. Is it like a good thing or is it more like someone calling you like a pipsqueak? Or like no, a no, no. It's sort of like a, a respect for how the mouse survives. The mouse, oh, okay. is, you know, the mouse, the mouse lives on its own on Arrakis. That should be enough of a qualification <laughs> for like, fair. you're pretty good. You know, who, there's like a couple things out in the desert, Mike, a kit fox, a desert hawk, a kangaroo mouse, and a worm. The worm's probably not going to pay too much mind to the kangaroo mouse. No, he jumps, but yeah, they, they find their way. So it's a, it's a little respect for the, the scavengerness and the squirreliness of that mouse, so to speak. It's still wild. Hmm. 
Yeah. I still don't know how I feel about it. I, I you guess just don't like the frame of reference. I, yeah, yeah, no, it's like uh, but we've I, been building it up as like this grand like oh, sage cool or like I don't even know what he is, but like now I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, well, you're gonna be really disappointed when you learn his other name. <laughs> What's his other name? Pillar. Pillar. Base of the pillar. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get there. We're jumping ahead. But uh, that's that's my little connection to Dune. So I was a little like, uh, you know, just uh, delighted when I found that that connected to the main character. Right. And you knew so much about it, too. Yeah, I just thought it was like, cool. It was so weird. And it was like forced on me back then. that It just kind of seemed like a little bit of fate, you know, Mm -hmm. like bringing me to this. Wait, was it was that name forced on uh, Paul or did he take it willingly or? Um, uh, I think he he chose that one. Yeah. Okay. Based on the pillar was given to him. Mm-hmm. And then he, so you uh, were not the motive of your elementary school. No, no, I guess mm. no. Shucks, <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have been made fun of if I was. <laughs> good space name, bad school name. That's right. We should have a list of like pros and cons for good space names, bad space names. <laughs> we'll start that. Becca on. is sort of somewhere in the middle. Okay, okay. We'll wait for a next space All name right. to pop up. Um. So, uh, along with those animals, there's also one other thing that Paul knows he has to learn about, and that's the spice and the sandworms, mm-hmm. uh, which is, yeah, bar none, you gotta learn I'm that with when Paul. you get I need uh, to learn more about both of these. All right, and he's been trying. He asked everyone he could about the sandworms. We asked Stu That's fear, true. We asked Dewey, like, that's his first The thing. wisest, most intelligent people he knows. It's like, they're big. Yeah, and it's surprising. <laughs> they're so scant on answers. No one cares at all. That's, I don't understand why. That's, uh, um... So, Paul, though, uh, he's listening in that room. He hears a uh, door close on the outside. So, this is Jessica leaving. Yeah, so he knows that his mom's leaving. He's like, I just need to get by Yui now. Like, before long, he'll take his nap, and I can... Oh, yeah, I love that, too. He's like, I know exactly what Yui's going to do. Yui's like a program machine. He is going to go through his set motions, and there's no surprises. He's so predictable. Could never surprise us in a million years. Yeah, Uh, this guy's not going to hear me. Uh, so, so it hops up and like gets ready to it's, it's time to explore yeah it's time to explore and that's when he hears the click click yep and his Bene Gesserit training just kicks right in all of his muscles stop and I do not think it is um, any kind of just uh, wording when he says he froze I think he literally is frozen like this is not just poetic license and the headboard folds down slowly and this little sliver comes out now did you, what'd you get for a feeling of size of this device? Like a rifle bullet. Okay. That would have been what I thought too. That is wrong. Is it closer to like a needle? Smaller. It is closer, it, closer to a hair. Five centimeter long hair. hair. So a two inch long hair. Not, okay. So well, I was kind of close on the needle. Need, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, exactly. Like just even smaller. So, What's but it even made out of that? It is metal. So it is an unstable metal alloy. That is only going to um, stick together as long as it has a current through it. And there's a tiny crystal tip on the front of it. It's going to be what we call colloquially the nose. Okay. uh, That the controller is able to see through. It's also a harder material than the metal. So that's going to be. That way it can pierce through. Exactly. Yeah. That'll be the part that breaks through when it strikes you. Yeah. yeah, let me take you. I got a little bit of a hunter seeker. Yeah. Um, let me give you this little rundown from the encyclopedia. So this is all new to me, okay. especially uh, knowing it is so small. I always thought, too, it was going to be like, I imagine sort of like a pencil, yeah, kind of coming through the air, floating right. through. Like, it sounded like it was something so easily to spot. Well, how old were you when you read this book first? 
Um, uh, would have moved at uh, 18 or 19. Okay. Yeah. Right in there. Um, but the Hunter Seeker. So we're gonna we're gonna go a little history lesson here. Okay. We gotta go back a couple couple thousand years to the year nine thousand eight hundred and forty six to be precise. So it's about a uh, oh I'm sorry not a thousand years three hundred years ago. Okay. Oh, uh, gonna, guys, the change from one hundred one to nine thousand. Let's leave 9, the calendar work to me, Derek. Ooh, I'm gonna blame it on the wall. Oh yeah, you're <laughs> calendar professional over here. So this guy named uh, Raj Amalkin. Okay. He's uh, this inventor, and I think the master of assassins for Emperor uh, Audrey, Audrey the Eleventh, A-U-D-R-I-I. We'll put that on possible space name. Possible? Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It, again, it comes off as a normal name, Audrey, uh, but a dude. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. So this uh, Raj, this little inventor, he creates this weapon, and no one knows about it. At this point. So it's completely hidden. Okay. And it is, uh, as you kind of know from the description that Paul gives us, uh, there's a controller that goes along with this sliver of metal that's floating in the air. Okay. So somebody has to be with this box, and they can be 75 meters away from that hunter seeker. Mm -hmm. And that's the limit of control for it. Otherwise, that person with this kind of control box is able to move this a little two-inch sliver of, you know, hair sliver of metal through right. the air. It can go at bursts of 100 kilometers per hour. Oh. Yeah, to shoot out. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then be incredibly maneuverable in that time. What's the, the acceleration whole, The whole that? thing is flexible. Um, I don't know, but uh, it did say that a good controller, though, is able to slow it down to then penetrate a shield fluidly as well. Oh, wow. So I imagine so very it's got, quick, yeah. like, reaction that's incredible and And he uses the suspensor field in order to do these movements yeah it has a what's called a compressed suspensor field around it so that's like uh the electric current in it and keeping it going and so they guide it and it seems like it's drawn mostly from motion the view is kind of obscured by the uh field yeah i wrote that in my notes it plays by t-rex rules (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you stand still can't see you (laughs) so it does sort of raise the question of how it was going to kill a sleeping paul yeah, well, I don't think it was designed to come out when he was asleep. I think it was designed to come out when he was getting up, feeling groggy, maybe oh. not fully aware of his senses but and surroundings. But it's run by an operator, so how would they know when Paul's getting up? Well, it's motion sensitive, right? Well, it was in a box. Mm. For like, how would they know to open that up to let it out? Like, they can't see until that point. Unless maybe we, the- our traitor is on the other side of the wall. Oh, he's right on the other side of the wall? Yui's in the other room. room Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you meant the operator. No, no, (laughs) no, no. I mean, like, Yui is in that adjoining room. The operator we know is within 75 meters. Right. I know where he is. Oh. You don't know where he is. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I've read the book before, Mike. Just imagine he bursts out of the closet. Aha! Uh, Just (laughs) falls out. Um, So, like, uh, there is potential that Yui could have been responsible for it. And so this is why I raised that red flag of the chalk on Yui's elbow. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right before this, I'm a little skeptical. I'm like, huh. But I think it was just chalk. I think it was just chalk. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> you had me for a moment. Right? It's an intriguing thought where you want to pin it on, but ultimately Yui is a normal teacher. <laughs> unraveling the yarn, getting ready to put that pin in. <laughs> Take it off the board, Mike. Um, so this crystal is going to be uh, what penetrates your skin. And that metal alloy is super flexible. And once it goes into your body, it will is attracted. It'll go up your nerve channels. Yeah, it's attracted to the electronic pulse in the nerves, and it will go to the closest one, 
That, Once it does that, it's on an automated course. And I believe at this point, the controller is done. And this thing is inside of you and it starts. And it will follow that path through your organs and tissue, just ripping a thread through yeah, you. Yeah, this made my arms itch immensely when oh, I read that. I was yeah. like, oh, oh no. my god. Like, remember that scene in The Mummy when the beetle's under oh, you? Oh, gosh, yeah. Dude, that would... Yeah, no. Uh, so this goes, and until enough damage is done to kill you, once you die, the electronic pulse in your nervous system stops. The hunter-seeker stops. The suspenser field preserving the metal stops. 30 minutes from now, that metal dissolves inside of you, and all that's left is a tiny little crystal pebble that is easily missed in an autopsy. Oh, my goodness. So, oh, man. for a number of years, it was wondered uh, that Emperor Audrey the Eleventh had a private angel of death because all of his enemies just mysteriously disappeared. And then historians attribute specifically the invention of this device to the comfortable long life that Audrey was able to live. <laughs> so the uh, Carinos had a monopoly on this and no one knew it existed for the longest time. That's why they, oh my God. just this rumor of him having angel of death. No one knew how people were dying, <laughs> but you're the emperor's enemy and you die a little bit. So rumors and speculation are going all through the minor houses and the major houses. So in our metaphors, you think it's a hunter seeker on that Surat behind you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> that make me run a little quicker. <laughs> no, stop. Or stop. Oh, or maybe we take out the angel of death. Uh, uh, <laughs> angel of death. Hunter seeker is just, oh, it sounds so <laughs> terrible. Now, do you want to know how the Emperor learned about the Hunter Seeker? How? A failed assassination attempt? Exactly. Ah! Uh, On who? I want to say the Emperor. Yes, Mike. You're two for two. Emperor Shaddam IV. Oh, so way early on in the Emperor. Yeah, so this secret came out 36 years ago. Okay. So this is pretty recent. Up until then, this was a closed Carino secret. So we had about 300 years, not 3,000, of uh, the Carinos holding this on lock. And Emperor um, Elrude the Ninth. So this is the guy we've touched on before. Who he was sort of cornered by the Bene Gesserit and made that deal uh, where his son was to be, have a Bene Gesserit wife, and then a Bene Gesserit's heir would be on the throne. Right, right, right. Uh, that was kind of this package deal that Shaddam got bundled into. So for some reason, uh, when Shaddam was the heir apparent, the Elrude decided like, mm, I don't need this kid, and he plots a little attempt. But growing up in the imperial household is not an easy life. And Shaddam has plenty of spies himself at this point, as well as a particular friend named Count Hasmir Fenring, who will be Shaddam's master of assassins later on. And uh, is going to be the guy that takes over Caladan. I think I've pointed out before, too, uh, once the Atreides leave. So they uncover this plot that the emperor is trying to kill Shaddam. And the Hen- uh, Fenring brings all this information to Shaddam. He gets a full report. Shaddam decides the best way to do this is to read this report in front of the full imperial court. <laughs> and it includes an entire breakdown of the hunter-seeker, how it operates, and this oh, and that. Oh, man. And he does this just to, like, put his father in a position where his father can't take credit for it. Mm-hmm. So um, he reads this in front of everyone and exposes this whole thing. Elrude the Ninth. He's like, uh, oh, I only got one option, really. Do you know? Do you know what he does when he's pushed into a corner? What does he do? Oh, he just sends them all, or he just go? He takes a peripheral family member. It was them. They get tortured until they confess, and oh, uh, we no. bundle it all up. Um, don't worry, though. 
Shaddam, not swayed by this. He obviously knew it was Elrude that did it. Right. Uh, and it's weird. A year later, Elrude dies from missing. poison. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Strangest thing. And in the 101.56 to Chalmurky, poison by drink, Elrude Ninth dies. And Shaddam takes the throne. And the um, Hunter Seeker, it's going to remain the weapon of choice for all of Shaddam's reign. Mm. And a little while after, too. It takes it's about a, a decade after his reign, we see the invention of a um, counterweapon to this. Okay. With a bit of a defense, finally, to the Hunter Seeker. And that is a thing. Um, let me get the name of it. Uh, the invention of the Reversant. Reversant? A reversant. That sounds dope. What is that? It is uh, sort of an alarm encounter to this, and it is able to detect a suspensor field at any power level whatsoever. Okay. When it detects that field, remember how we talked about the classic if a laser gun meets a shield? Uh-huh. Two atomic explosions on either oh, same end. same thing. Sort of. Um, it takes the field and it reverses the signal and amplifies it. So it just crushes sends it. Sends it back. Down. No, it oh. just blows up the controller. Wait, what? How does so that function? It, it detects the hunter seeker coming. Okay. Which has this some suspensor connection to the uh, device. I don't understand. It would be a um, Holtzman, uh, what was the single point node? And it allows communication is probably what's between the two devices. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember you were talking. Okay. Because remember, all the Holtzman fields build upon each other. So since it's a um, technology that shares with it, I think that's why I'm al- uh, I'm kind of guessing that that's the I same I just imagine effect. it's like sending a, a nuclear bomb through Bluetooth. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, inc- you're basically sending wireless energy and just like mm-hmm. building this charge up in a device that can't hold it until it just detonates. And how, how big is this explosion? So it's not nearly that scale, right, right, uh, right. but it is enough to um, eviscerate the controller and the hunter seeker equally. Mm. Uh, so both, you're not going to find the person who did it. You'll find the, the crater, the last place he was standing, <laughs> the last place occupied by him. <laughs> and that will be it. Uh, and maybe a smell of ozone in the air. Oh, my God. Uh, but that is a hunter seeker. That's really cool and is really that, scary. That just like oh sounds. My God. I think it's even more terrifying knowing that it's a it's the thickness of a human hair. Yeah, honestly, like I always imagine something that I can imagine Paul like grabbing or that I would see. Right, and knowing that like I would not see it at all. Well, I mean, like yeah, maybe but maybe a shimmer. And Benny be Jesuit like, though, Benny Jesuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. he's got. That he has um, through fears training with him. He's mm-hmm. prepped for this exact scenario. Uh, and you just see this little piece of tinsel come at you. <laughs> death tinsel. <laughs> all tinsel's death tinsel. Who? But uh, wait, but who's the assailant? Because uh, Yui's in the next room. Yeah, oh, I'll just tell you it's not Yui. Uh, I can't do anything else beyond that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you gotta wait. Uh, maybe if Thufir gets off his ass and figures it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're being too hard on Thufir. <laughs> too hard, too soon. We definitely are. <laughs> uh, but so that is our Hunter Seeker rundown. Mm-hmm. And we know where we left off. Paul is just standing still in this room. Yeah. This thing is darting around him looking. And he's thinking about like, okay, what are my options? Yeah. He's going through these courses of action in his head, which, oh my God. Again, that rapid. It's mentat. Yeah, yeah. 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 That mentat thinking of like, I can process 10,000 things right now. Let's see which one of these works out. I uh, think he'd shout out, but then it would attack Yui. Saying, yeah. If Dr. Yui opens the like, door. I couldn't, couldn't bear to see Yui get killed. That'd be terrible. And he kind of just lands on, I'm going to grab it. Mm-hmm. 
And this is a little bit that I thought was interesting that the suspensor field will make it slippery on the bottom. Just a unique little... Uh, like the oh, bottom. Just like to I, repel the gravity? Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was just saying. Yeah, maybe that's where it's pushing off of or like where it would resist your hand the most. Yeah. Uh, so hmm. he's not trying to catch a hair. He's trying to catch a noodle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> a little butter noodle. Fresh out of the pot. <laughs> and yeah, I must grip it tightly. He got it to himself. So while he's thinking this, you know, he runs to that worry of Yui and stuff. And then the hallway door creaks. So this is that one that was behind the bookcase that he was going to go through. Them, kind of right. take him up the back way from his room. So he goes sneak <laughs> around. And uh, guess who comes in? Was like, he doesn't even notice because he grabs it first. Because uh, this thing starts shooting at the door and he just, boom, hand out, grabs that thing. Mm-hmm. And then Shadow Mapes is at the door. <laughs> it's like, uh, and then like specifically, she is not even shaken by this. She, yeah, no, she says like, I've heard of such things. Right. But like, I think she's not visually stunned or dismayed or anything. She kind of looks at it, assesses the situation. And uh, yeah, says like, uh, I, I, I know of these kind of things. Right. Which, so that should also raise some questions for you of this is something that only the nobility know about. So it's only been known publicly for publicly. 30 years. I so, do you think maybe the Harkonnens used them on some Fremen? It feels like maybe they wouldn't because they didn't care enough about them. But it, what the Fremen really hate them. Mm-hmm. They've been doing raids on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you like that's a possibility. Yeah. Uh, it does seem like that wouldn't be the Fremen M.O. Right, right. Like, it's not a brutal method. It it's, is kind of just like a, a subtle mystery just plots right there that you could totally miss. Yeah, and so I want to use it to highlight. I'm not gonna. I think I've told you, Mapes is got. Uh, or yeah, I told you last time when we first met her that you have this thing going where you need to understand there are no small characters. Right. There's no like off-mentioned people that mm. are gonna walk on scene. They all at least have a backstory, even if you don't get to thoroughly uh, enjoy it or be exposed to it. Mm. We will get to suss it out. Uh, so Mapes, she is a complex woman. She has some experiences. She knows things. Uh, there's a reason why she's here. So she uh, she would know this weapon, I think, probably pretty well if she hasn't used one personally. Do you think she would have? Yeah, uh, really? potentially if she got her hands on. It. I don't think she would have access because it's not like a Fremen. Fremen don't really use. Um, well, they have like glow globes and stuff, so they're used to suspensor fields. They don't use shields, I guess, is the only thing specifically. They don't use shields at all. Yeah, they're not shield people. Oh, no, there's a reason. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there when we get. Okay. Okay. I'm Shield, curious about that. Shield's got an Arrakis problem. You know that way Arrakis can only affect some things. <laughs> <laughs> so that fact that she knows that is interesting, and I think uh, she even kind of goes on. Uh, does she go straight to letting relaying the orders to him? Or yeah, she immediately says like, "Well, by like the she way, just goes right <laughs> to business in an almost like Stark way." But like your mother told me. Uh, she, I met her at the stairs to the weirding room down the hall. What is a weirding room? What so is a weirding room? We, we talked about the word weirding before, and it has to do with like magic. Yeah, uh, that was wasn't that like our first word? It our was first our glossary game word. It was our first glossary game word when we first made the glossary game. I think. Yeah. Uh, and one I definitely got. Yep. And this is why. Uh, it comes up so early in the book. It makes a big impression on you. So the weirding is a kind of the Fremen look on um, Bene Gesserit ways, and so to speak. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that we have this weirding room is upstairs that Jessica went off to. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what we're left at. And at the end of this chapter, that's going to be Paul's last thought, too. After all these events, he turns over. He's like... Wait, she called it a weirding room. <laughs> uh, okay. 
But you know, you're right. The first thing she says is, your father sent for you, like completely down to business. Mm-hmm. And Paul, I like how quickly he goes into issuing orders. And right. This comes like he reflex. Yeah. And he just sounds so much like kind of what I the impression I imagine his dad is like mm-hmm. uh, the Duke. Like it's very commanding. It's go to my father. Tell them I've caught a hunter seeker in the house and they're to spread out and find the operator. Tell them to seal off the house and its grounds immediately. They'll know how to go about it. The operator's sure to be a stranger among us. Now, there's some pretty concise. As he says to, to this so woman, fluidly. he's never met before, though. Had he? Yeah, he went I just to thought bed. that was funny. I think it does explain that, though, I think. Um, no, no, it doesn't. Uh, that is a good point. She does, <laughs> but she comes up. She does say, I think the fact that the mother told me. Um, but he, the only thing we really get of his impression for her is when she leaves and takes his message, he feels like he wants to bring her back and ask her a question. Well, but no, no. He, uh, yeah. Sorry, but not to interrupt you, but he does say right after the operator should be a stranger among us. And he wondered, could it be this creature as his first thought? Mm -hmm. But we rule that out Mm -hmm. right away because uh, she opened the door. Oh, right. It can't be her. So what's this control like? Um, I don't know if we ever get to see it per se. Um, but like I keep describing it as a box and I think it would be something, I mean, a box probably, about the size of your cell phone maybe smaller okay. everything seems to be smaller than i imagine it uh going with like the film book the hunter <laughs> seeker so like let's keep toning these down like yeah it probably is in the palm of your hand and it's not what i'm gonna say and uh maybe a watch okay it's a watch <laughs> <laughs> it's james bond but like yeah I, it's something it's really small it's got to have a screen and then controls to move a hunter seeker and that's gonna right. be and it. some sort of can- yeah you're right a screen for the camera right um and then the device is going to be more complex than it looks because that's kind of the stuff this technology mm-hmm. has. But no, I don't. I don't know how to describe a controller to you otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know it can't be mates because, uh, like I said, the person who you can't operate it and move around at the same right. time. It's right. got to be you're dedicated when you're one or the other. Um, and uh, so he tries to send her off. Saying it's stranger before, you know, wonders if it's her, knows it's not. And before Mates goes, she's got something on her mind now. Mm-hmm. So she tells him, before I do your bidding, Manling. And I love that. A little diminutive. <laughs> Manling. Manling. I love that. Uh, <laughs> from this little raisin on the floor. <laughs> oh, Mates. I must cleanse the way between us. What yeah. What does that mean? She's used that uh, term before yeah. with the Chris knife. And so now, you, yeah, now you're really coming on to cleanse is a yeah. religious overtone, a cultural kind of meaning. This is not like just washing mm. up before or anything. Right. Uh, yeah. These are important matters to her. So specifically, I gotta, I gotta go to the next word. I can't say cleanse without getting to the water burden. Cause that is what she wants to cleanse. That's what's, is been that almost like a her. life debt kind of thing? That is exactly what that is. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, it was, it was meant for him, but it was coming for her. And she does mention the fact that, like, you could have let it kill me and then gotten it. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you chose to do it then instead. Which I, I love. That's a, just a pragmatism in her. That's yeah. not even like a thankfulness for it. Just like those were the act, those choices you could have made. And uh, that is one of those moments um, that the Fremen are going to have a word for where it's you're making an action uh, or uh in, oh, what is it? an action where like death could be the consequence of it. Mm-hmm. So like Paul's made this choice. He saved her. But for mates, that's not like just something you can do graciously. Like I owe you now. Basically my water is yours. Right. She doesn't necessarily seem thrilled about that. No, 
<laughs> no, no, Mike, it's literal. Like, my water is yours. And she's the well dipper, right? Yeah, that's her title. Okay. Uh, but so she needs to get that back. <laughs> <laughs> Not going out with this one. So she says, we famine pay our debts, be they black debts or white debts. What's, okay. I, this entire sentence just had me going, what? I'm so curious. So, like, does that mean, like, uh, small and large? Okay, so I don't know off the top of my head. Like, I, for research-wise, I can't mm-hmm. tell you anything. My speculation would be uh, morality imposed on that. Like, good deed, bad deed kind of Yeah, deal. like, I'm doing something bad for the greater good kind of a debt, or I'm doing something good, you know, just in general, but it still will incur a debt from you. So, like, okay. her life being saved, you know, but she still feels maybe that's, like, a white debt. Um, we will, uh, we can do a little back research and try to look into that. Okay. If there is anything different, I'll let you know. I think you might be right. Like the difference between saving a life and taking a life. Mm -hmm. Like there may be like a debt associated with both of those things. Yeah. And just the different ways you can accrue them. Mm. Uh, if you, if it was intentional or not kind of deal, uh, all that, if it was an accident, all those things that I think they would, uh, consider, but they would always log that debt. Uh, where like, you know, if you accidentally, Oh, I can't, I can't think of a situation where a friend would like spill water, but like, you know, somehow you drop water in the desert or something like maybe that would be kind of a debt that you'd pick up. Oh. I'd be like, yeah, that costs something. Um, but yeah, that sentence is great. So the water burden though, she's got to do it. So, and, uh, why don't you, why don't you say how she cleanses that between them? What does she, what does she give them in exchange? Uh, she knows there's a traitor in their midst and, uh, what does she give him? She just says, mayhap be the hand that guided the flesh cutter. Yeah, yeah. Who it is, we cannot say, but we're certain sure of it. Mayhap there's the hand that guided that flesh cutter. She says we. So she's speaking on behalf of the Fremen. Mm-hmm. What is a... Uh, water dipper is very important in the hierarchy of the Fremen, right? Uh, yeah, it's an honorific within a Siege, which is okay, like right. their, we, their community. We talked about Siege. Mm-hmm. Um... But it isn't like saying, like, I wouldn't say it puts her in... Like a leadership role or anything. Yeah, it's not like she's third in line for this or this. Right, Like, somebody is just the well-dipper, and, like, it is a really important position to be in. But, uh, I mean, she she feels confident enough to say we, Mm -hmm. not just I. Yes. Yeah, she she holds some rank, and um, she's got some status. And it also lets us know that the Fremen have been keeping tabs on what's going on here in this household. Yeah. They know that they know there's been a traitor. And that this information is uh, at Mapes' disposal to barter with. I love that they're having this conversation right next to Dr. Yui's room as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even think of it. Dr. Yui's, he is reading a book in the other room, Paul, probably like dozing off, snoozing. Paul is holding a hunter seeker, still armed, and I think he <laughs> crushed the, did he crush the nose yeah he crushed the nose yeah, so he crushed the nose but he's still holding on to it with his little fremen in front of him <laughs> who we've been told are the most dangerous people on the planet who paul is not even going to be able to hang out with the children with. he's alone in a room with her this and woman who just had a chris knife in her bodice up until 20 minutes ago he doesn't know that though no nobody knows anything <laughs> that's the point mike that's the problem <laughs> This she, house is falling apart. The only thing that can make this better is if she said you have a traitor in your midst and just slowly turned around. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, poor Yui. <laughs> this is not a great afternoon. Can't get a break. Yeah. Right before he's never gonna get to sleep now. 
wait, that is awesome. <laughs> oh, I may have to bum a sedative off of Paul. <laughs> He's got a spare. I wonder what he does with them all. <laughs> He's got a little collection. He's got a weird heavy selling them to Gurney. <laughs> <laughs> weird. How would you refill my glass? No, <laughs> uh, yeah, you did. Uh, and, uh, well, and Mike, that was Paul's first encounter with a Fremen. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote that down, and that, that was his first encounter ever with a Fremen, which seemed like a very important thing, and it felt like not at all what I would have anticipated or expected. And I'm still not sure how I feel about the whole ordeal. But oh. I think what confuses me the most is how little Paul really seems to, like, acknowledge the fact that she's a Fremen, and this is their first encounter because he's wanted to meet them so badly. I think it is a part of him going immediately into sort of like military well, mode. But. That I think that is that point where he wanted to call her back. It's like, oh, wait. And ask her more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is his mind being like, oh, I do want to know about the Fremen. But like, obviously, the intensity of the situation around him, Hunter Seeker's still in hand. Right, right. There's some uh, adversary within 60 feet meters of him. Uh, and now he's deciding he's got, he has to go tell his mom about this. He has to alert his father. Uh, but I like we get this little glimmer where um, he wants to call her back, but he knows she would resent it. Mm-hmm. I think that is just a really cool reading of her, and it really enforces how we already kind of like I have a great respect for mates, and I've kind of enforced that upon mm-hmm. you uh, just from how she set up the bullhead in that great hall and stuff. Like she's such a resilient woman. Uh, but Paul, he doesn't have time. He grabs the shield belt off the table mm-hmm. and books it out the up his way to the weirding room. Yeah, no. So he and he thinks like a weirding room. What? And so he goes where she pointed that uh, his mother would be. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be at the end of the hallway up some stairs. Apparently. Right. I believe weird... it's on like the roof of the actual building. So what is a weirding room? What do you think a weirding room is going to be? So I guess, okay. certainly, you know, I'm not going to tell you. Right. right, right yeah. Right. So weirding <laughs> is uh, like a magical person or like. What seems like a magical person. Mm-hmm. So, we're, is it's a fremen word? I know that. So, what would be magical to a fremen? What would be magical to a fremen, Mike? I don't know. They don't use like shields and well, they use tech because they use still suits. Yeah, they got they got technology. Uh, They're not like they, yeah. primitives, right? right you right, know right. what? What do you think they would desire most? Water. <laughs> that's true. I don't think that's magical though. Well, I guess if I don't know. I like I like the thread you're on though of something just magical to the Fremen. Right. Let's leave it at that. Okay. Uh, for the weirding part hmm. of it, we're gonna. We, I'll tell you, like when we get there in the next chapter, it's gonna happen right away. We're going right into that room. We're going right. Yeah. Oh, this is happening at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna do. We'll I mean, we'll cover it next week when we get there. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna do another little time uh, leap and get to see the same kind of thirty minutes happen from another part of the house. Okay. Uh, and lead up to it. Okay. Um, that kind of brings me to the end of our little chapter summary. And obviously, like, like we said at the beginning, shortest chapter so far. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little, little asterisk there. Um, so I don't have any, uh, reference out because my, my other, uh, book I was using was much smaller. So the pages are a little different, but in my fancy new book. In your fancy new hardcover. Whoa, this is only four pages long. <laughs> only four. Oh my. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, it's four. It's okay. four. Can we, can we round it up four and a quarter? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Can't get there. Uh. So, uh, knowing that we were going to kind of cruise through that today, I did set up a, a little side deep dive because we didn't get to do one past week. Uh, right. We, that was a big chapter and an important one that we went through two weeks ago. Uh, and then with Yui, we spent some time dissecting that. Well, before we do that, though, Ooh. I had a small thing that I found by accident that I wanted to talk about. 
Okay, would, you stumbled on something? I stumbled on something. Okay, what did uh, you find? Well, I was looking at some like uh, fan art pictures and uh, looking for something to attach to some of our previous episodes. Okay. I was looking for like uh, Atreides matadors and everything and found an interesting wiki article on bulls in the Dune universe. Oh, oh just like just bulls? Yeah, just bulls. It's short. And I don't know where the uh, where exactly it takes it from, like which source material. I didn't want to look too much into it, um, but uh, I've been, I was kind of enamored. So I asked you if there's anything special about bowls. Sure. Um, you said no, just regular bowls. Not the case in, according to this article. Um, they're from Seleucus Secundus, which I think you mentioned. That they're sort of like uh, one of the resources of that planet, like they're native to it. Okay. Um, they... Uh, they're terrifying. Their backs are covered <laughs> with spines. Their heads are black studded with multiple horns and have faceted eyes. They have oh two my God. separated brains. <laughs> These things are like a death elephant, like <laughs> given bull form. That is manic. So the one concern I'm going to raise is this might be a uh, from the Brian Herbert's part of the series. Oh, really? That sounds like a very stylized and kind of beefed up uh, right. kind of animal. Um, that is definitely not what is in, like, at least uh, mentioned in the Doom books. And I can see them doing in one of their, like, spinoffs, a deep dive, because they do, like, okay. a, they do, like a prequel with uh, Leto Atreides doing his stuff uh, leading up till Dune. This is the picture I found. I uh, see. So I got a little picture here from Mike, and this is, oh yeah, this is straight a matador in a bullfighting ring, and this creature that is him is twice the size <laughs> of a grown man. Uh, like that brings you up to the shoulders of the bull, and its horn like spreads out into three horns on each side. The thing looks more like a dragon in bullshit <laughs> than anything else. Uh, yeah, that's wild, and. I, I would really speculate that that is kind it, of going to be like a Brian Herbert thing. Right. Where for us, I do want to avoid going into anything that he kind of brought up because it takes us out of one being set uh, with the backdrop of the Cold War is really critical to I, me right. understanding like where Frank Herbert's coming from in his historical illusions and why he would choose some illusions over another okay. or this one influence over another. And then I think if if we get through all these, maybe it'll be time to dive into those ones. Right. Uh, okay. But they like flake. <laughs> How long is it going to take us to get through these books, Woo! though? Oh, it's going to take us <laughs> a while. Let's not think about that. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll probably be unemployed if we keep going down that route. <laughs> it's going to be a lot to do. But uh, okay. So I'll, I guess I'll take this with a grain of salt. I'll try and find out where this came from. Yeah. No, that picture is really cool, though, nonetheless. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that uh, I don't know. That does make the bowls like more elaborate than I think I even want them to be. Yeah, because can you so? imagine that is not the head I imagine mounted uh, in the Great Hall of Arrakis. <laughs> little little Mapes is trying to put. Yeah. Them oh my. Oh my God. You've just doubled the scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope she had a forklift. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it uh, would uh help reiterate sort of her like oh what a beast this must have been mm -hmm. when she knows that there's giant friggin' sandworms in the desert going left and right yeah yeah yeah. That's so i feel like a bull maybe not wouldn't like feel that impressive well the sandworm is always going to be different sandworms like quasi-religious and they oh really yeah well this they respect it there's a reverence and respect for like the how just devastating the sandworm is okay uh and then like a recognition that it is not like a water creature like we are like a bull would be so i think it's that sort of respect it's for not a water creature 
Well, just like uh, looking at like a mammal or anything else. Like, uh, I don't think when they look at the worm, they think of it like other animals. Is kind of what I'm saying. Oh, you know, so- like I think in their mind, they even classify it sort of as just something else. Oh, so there's almost like a divinity about it. Yeah, you know, sort yeah. of like. Uh, uh, like, uh, well, one of the one of the things they call it is like it's the old man of the desert. The old man of the is desert. like one of the great worms that's that is out there. Cool. It's like that's called the old man of the desert. If you ever see one of those huge ones, that's really cool. Uh, so it's stuff like that's how they refer to it. Uh, I think uh, one of them they call it like the word for devil is like sandworm. Oh, really? Yeah, like it's because it's also your enemy as much as it is like oh, yeah, anything yeah, you're yeah. like it. You know, it, it doesn't care about you. Mm-hmm. It will destroy you with the slightest of ease as long as if you disrespect it. If you respect the worm, you can coexist sort of with the worm, but you are always at the worm's mercy. A little different than a kangaroo mouse and its eyes. <laughs> yes. Does it have eyes? <laughs> the kangaroo mouse? <laughs> no, the same oh. worm. No? No. <laughs> I guess I haven't seen a picture with eyes. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they have eyes. <laughs> That'd be weird. Uh, <laughs> it would be weird. You know, there's, there's just, a lot of weird things in this book. There so far. is. There really is, Mike. <laughs> and honestly, by the time we get to God Emperor, all the exceptions come out. <laughs> like, remember when I said to you there's not? There's one. God is that the third one? That's the fourth, fourth one. Okay. So okay. Yeah, just my constant reference point for the weird things. And I'm just like, well, in God Emperor, there's this, but I uh, try to avoid it. That is the only thing I want to get you up to. Is that the one you're currently rereading? Or yeah, that one I just finished okay. this week. Uh, it was really good to get through that one. Awesome. Uh, just so I can have the full scope of this going into. Uh, I was glad to get caught up. But uh, yeah, that was a cool little sidestep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you dug that out. I'm worried if you do too much research. Don't get, <laughs> don't get it on any spoilers. Well, okay, well, that w- I was just looking for pictures. Mm-hmm. I didn't think there would be this whole backstory yeah, of holes. Yeah. Oh, there's always a slippery slope, Mike. <laughs> All right, as I'm soon gonna... as you dip into that encyclopedia, you'll know. Oh, man. I, I might have to uh, have Megan do some work for me. <laughs> 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 Keep a buffer. Yeah. <laughs> just so a degree of separation. Yeah. Um, the thing I got for you this week. Okay is uh, I wanted to touch on a little bit of the star system that we're in. Right. I had a lot of questions about that. He did. So we were told of a ceiling beam in the Great Hall that was uh, made from a tree so large, there's no way it was from a planet in this system. Right. To which you asked me if there was any planet (laughs) in this system with trees. Well, I can now answer that. Pretty fully, right. and even tell you about some moons around some planets in this system. <laughs> oh, oh, you did like full. and a, a moon that doesn't even exist anymore. Okay, Arrakis used to have three. I just held up four fingers showing yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Arrakis used to. Oh, yes, they don't know the difference. Uh, so they used to have three moons, and one of them was destroyed by a comet or asteroid mm-hmm. two hundred thousand years ago. Must have been huge. Yeah. Uh, interesting though that like that has no ramification, so I don't know why they include it. Um, but <laughs> it's like. The, the, just a fun fact. Yeah, I guess. it was cool. Um, there was definitely uh, an astronomer who put this all together. They included a lot of numbers for each of the planets, mm-hmm. mass of them. Uh, when their inclination is above or below zero, it includes that. This is in the encyclopedia. Yeah, uh, so it was really cool. And they, I assume, and I, I, I mean, I am not able to check, double check the math on this, but I bet that it would work out on paper that you could make this uh, system exist. That was probably just like a fun project to do while like. Yeah, thing. exactly. Like, especially for all the outer planets where it doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, it's not going to affect the story. You can have that fun to just make up a world and figure, you know, play with how the science would work in it. Mm-hmm. And again, we always got to remind you guys, this is happening before our space program was completed. Mm-hmm. We were only in the Mercury program. We had sent a few probes to the moon at this point, but we hadn't had a, a human orbit it yet. 
So that in mind. What's uh what's the scale of the moons of Arrakis in comparison to Arrakis itself? Because uh our moon is incredibly large compared to most uh satellite to planet ratios. And um I did keep our moon I can compare our radius to the moon's radius and oh no, I'm sorry, I don't have the moon. I have the orbital distance of the moon that I can compare to the moons in this one. Okay, that's a good start. Um I have some sizes. A lot of the sizes I decided not to include all of it just because I don't think that's gonna be helpful for us to talk about. Right. Uh these numbers are gonna be in scales that are just gonna be lost. Uh <laughs> at least meaning wise. Right. Like I can't I'll just you... nod and smile. Yeah, and then, that, and then, then it, we move I, on. I, to I the think it's just one. gonna be me yeah. reading numbers to people. So I'm gonna try to keep it more to the um broad strokes of what these each star is each planet's doing okay. and what it's shaped like um so without further ado we're gonna start with the star in the system so okay oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we're in the canopus uh staric system we are canopus local star group is what we call it local star group. and that's like the collection of stars in this area of space called canopus and then uh, we go to the canopus system and this star is called canopus and then canopus b is this other one. It's actually a binary system. So at oh. first they couldn't tell. And uh, they actually don't know currently in the world uh, that this is what it is. So they haven't discovered the second star that's there. on From Arrakis? Yeah. Like no one knows? No, this is going to be a discovery that happens in uh, 14491. So okay. that one. Is, Wait, 14491? Is that like? We're in 101, 10191. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that's like 3,000 years in the future. Even 4, four. Yeah, this time I got it right. Wow. Yeah, so this is going to be a long time, and it's kind of cool. So what happens is uh, there's this explorer out. Uh, not even an explorer. I think he was a, he's a merchant, and um, his ship had a propulsion system failure. So it just started drifting, and they couldn't change their course. <laughs> oh, no. And they got dangerously close to this star. And um, mm. when they did... They recorded a slender thread of coronal material spiraling upwards along distorted magnetic fields. Oh, is it a black so hole? So it's just spinning out. No, wait, no. It's even better, Mike. No, I think you... you I did, did tell you. Did you spoil this for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I you did. did. It's, it's a, a white, white hole. hole. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, I'll walk you through that one, Please, too. Please, yeah. Uh... So, oh, first I gotta, I gotta clear up this little thing. So he saw this thing spiraling up from the star. Right. It wasn't going up, he realized. They discovered that the brilliant white object, it's less than 12,000 meters in diameter. Um, our moon's radius is over uh, 1.7 million meters. So this thing is tiny compared to even our moon. Like mm. It's just like a big boulder, essentially. And that material was coming out of that and going into the star, feeding into the star. Do you think the star was created by that... Uh white hole they probably oh oh uh first of all i am not qualified to answer that question <laughs> this imaginary Before physics i was gonna come in scenario. with confidence and be like well michael let me tell you about that uh, uh but i imagine that they um grabbed each other and become bound gravi- uh, gravitationally we bet the way to phrase it uh while the star system was forming um so i'm not sure i think it's been feeding that star since it became a star perhaps or somewhere early in the development of that nebula. Right. Um, let alone, we don't really know how that white hole got there. So white hole theory has changed a lot since this book. <laughs> okay. A lot. We can start with Einstein. 
Mm-hmm. So he made up the theory of black hole part of the, uh, after general relativity. It's yeah. not concerned ourselves I mean, it, with the yeah, timeline so, or the sort of were with connected. it. It's an aspect of that. And Einstein and this guy um, Rosen, because uh, I think it's an Einstein Rosen bridge, is okay. this? Uh, they theorized that the opposite of a black so this black hole is an event horizon. Everything goes in, gets crushed to a singularity. What happens to that information? Well, they think that a somewhere along what's called an Einstein-Rosen bridge, what we would think of as a wormhole, mm-hmm. goes and poof out somewhere else, a white hole bursts. And the information from that black hole is then produced outward from a white hole. So a white hole has sort of the opposite of event horizon. And instead of nothing can get out of it, nothing can go into this event horizon. Only things can come out of hmm. it, which is all this material spiraling up. So... And me trying to look into like what a white hole is and stuff like that, there is a paper that came out in, I think, 2014. Uh, this is just recently a theory a guy's been working on where he thinks that uh, white holes and black holes are, a, are the same aspect of one process. And that a black hole, when it is uh, reaching the point of infinity on its collapse, just before that, in that like half second, it switches. And it goes and it starts pushing all that information out and becomes a white hole. But because of the severe time dilation that occurs because of a black hole. It would still look like a black hole, wouldn't it? uh, Well, no, they are black holes to us. Right. They haven't had enough time to turn into white holes since the universe began. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, like literally where we are in the present, white holes have not had enough time to be born yet. But technically, they already have happened and exist because that thing is just like that's a kind temporal of a cool idea. mind, you know, twist. So that is like, yeah, that's the idea of what this white hole does he, is. Does he have like a, a theory and sort of like a, a proof to go with it? Yeah. Not, not proof necessarily, but like. Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm going to kind of refer to it vaguely as a paper. Yeah. Uh, but certainly I haven't read it. Uh, I've just read interpretations of it. I'd be, uh, but I'd be it, curious to look into that. I'd have to have it explained to me in layman's terms just because I do not have enough of a background. Sure, sure. Really understand uh, the, and then, yeah, they details. talk about other aspects where there are white holes we were able to uh, monitor that occurred in the very beginning of like kind of the Big Bang, mm-hmm. sort of like the bubbling, bubbling of that. Uh, they were able to happen spontaneously in like little micro white holes. Hmm. Uh, so, and then certainly it's all theory and speculation, but it's cool to watch this build on. And then for us to cross over that new discovery with this old material is just really interesting. And uh, it's kind of an interesting idea too, when you think about how far ahead in the future, these Dune uh, yeah, uh, take books place. are taking place. I mean, I guess relative to the universe, it's not much time at all. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like what, 15,000 years or something like that? Or Yeah, 30, so yeah. still a drop in the bucket. Yeah, pretty uh, much nothing. Not going to make a difference in the white hole, black hole thing. <laughs> or maybe it does, it's just enough. <laughs> it's just a day. Um, Tomorrow white holes are born, who knows? Though, uh, Can't prove that they won't be. The science of the Dune universe declares in the encyclopedia that uh, at the center of galaxies are supermassive white holes, de facto. Oh, so like they set that up beforehand to be like, this is how our universe works, which I think is cool because it was before we had discovered that they're supermassive black black holes, which with this new theory are the same thing. So technically there are supermassive white holes at the center, maybe. It just hasn't happened yet. That's pretty cool, though. This guy, I think he hit the spice and got it. Figured (laughs) it out. Um. So these two, uh, this star and this white hole, mm-hmm. are mutually orbiting each other every 5.1 days. 
how far away are they? They, um, ooh, I thought What's I the gravity of a white hole like, I wonder? In that they're not spinning around fast enough to tear each other apart well, and send out, like, gravity oh, waves. The, uh, so the ratio of mass, I can tell you, is, uh, and I don't know if this number is really going to matter, but it's, uh, like, 11,000 to 1. So that huge star to that tiny little white hole. That's the only difference that it is. And uh, it puts the center of mass is only like um, 80,000 kilometers under that surface of the photosphere of that sun. Oh, my so, like, God. That is how much influence that white hole has. Like it's pulling the center of mass all the way through that star. So it's almost outside of the star with the two of them. They are almost equal components of it. That's insane. Well, I can see why no one would like notice that. Yeah, yeah, how would you? Like, right. you would need such sensitive material, and it just happened because the <laughs> ship almost died. Uh, I think less people are concerned about the stars of that system and more about the planets. Uh, and now, like, you know, I have a special coffee mug at home. That yeah. Has, uh, it's the escape velocity of Earth. Can't leave uh, home without can't it. Can't leave home without it. So they included the escape velocity for Arrakis that I feel like I just need to tell you for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be 53.5 kilometers per second which is almost uh, f- almost five times as much as Earth's. Really? Yeah, ours is 11 kilometers a second. So that's, the- again, that's that mass of that white hole that is holding everything in that system. Like, you are not getting out of there. Uh, so, I'm sorry, it's uh, for the system, not for... Uh, well, I was going to say, that would be related to, to a rocket, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, then what's the gravity? Is the gravity five, like five times greater on Arrakis? No, no, I'm sorry. It's for, like, the star system uh, compared oh, to our to- star system, uh, not to planet. That was, okay. Uh, sorry, missed the thing on there. Uh, but the just for the escape velocity wise for it of of that uh, to get you out of the stars. Okay, yeah, because gotcha. that white hole puts that influence in. That's okay. what I meant compared to our sun. Uh, I was say Yui doesn't need to do anything. Paul's already paced. <laughs> He's <laughs> done. Uh, otherwise, I think uh, I think the gravity might be less. We'll get to Arrakis in a second. Mm-hmm. So we got six planets are in the system. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we'll walk you through. So the first one is called Seban, uh, S E B A N. Uh, and it is like a third of the size of the earth. Uh, so it's a tiny little rock on the inside. It is large enough for an atmosphere, but it passes too close to the star on its, uh, it's got this elliptical orbit mm-hmm. that the coronal winds just blow it off into space and just have like shot its atmosphere away. <laughs> oh no, that poor thing. Yeah. At its closest point when it's cruising up to that star, an ionic cloud of highly kinetic ions charges on the planet. So it's like, um, he gave me some iron, uh, I don't know, iron, irenium, I-R-E-N-I-U-M, and malorium. I don't think those are... Don't think they're real? I don't think those are real elements. I just don't know when to call them out on it. <laughs> <laughs> the iron, for sure. Um, but I, just, I learned a song so once, cool. and I don't remember singing that verse. <laughs> So this just comes through and gets roasted and irradiated by the sun and then moves back out into wow. its orbit. So no life on this planet, no trees on this planet. Not going to happen. Okay. I think it's funny, too, that its name is Zeben, and that's German for seven in a system of six planets. <laughs> <laughs> just a fun fact there, I guess. <laughs> that's good. So our second planet is uh, Minaris, and okay. this one's pretty close to Earth. It's got like uh, about a seventh uh, larger so okay. to speak. Um, it's got a highly elliptical orbit with a tilt of 79 degrees. Oh, wow. So this thing is like it's, cranked yeah, up yeah, on its yeah. side. Uh, rolling. It's almost the, uh, well, no, it wouldn't be the opposite. Never mind. 
That's not how circles work, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, the way they described it is that it nearly rolls in its orbit uh, with this contrasting oh seasonal effects. It's got a dense atmosphere of carbon dioxide with traces of nitrogen dioxide. Oh, what would the weather be like on there? Year harsh. Oh, oh my God. Oh, uh, it seems left like and right. Just oh, it had an, like an eternally hot hemisphere and another eternally cold one with the way it's like slowly orbiting right. going around. Uh, no life on this planet either. <laughs> How long is a year on uh, Minaris? Um, I don't got that one for okay. you. Okay. So then we get to Arrakis. Okay. Uh, and we have... oh, so it's third from the sun. Yeah. Suns. Sun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> one sun. <laughs> the other is a white hole. I don't know what we call that. <laughs> Sources of light. Uh, stars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. the sun is a star, right? So the sun you... is for sure a star. Yeah. 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 Canopus. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Not to make me sound dumb, <laughs> but I'm like, we we don't call them. Uh. Like a black hole is just sort of the same process of a sun. It's a collapsed star. Collapse. Yeah, yeah, the last or form star, of it. Yeah. So I'm going to call them suns. Uh, yeah, elder sun. Elder sun. Um, so Arrakis has this highly elliptical orbit because of uh, what they call the twins, which is uh, Minaris and uh, another planet uh, we're going to get to after called Extaris. So the two ones Extaris. that are... Extaris. Okay. They're having a crazy effect on Arrakis. Uh, Arrakis is the only planet to harbor life in the system. And we found, uh, this is going to happen about 2,000 years from now. There's going to be a discovery that there is a uh, dust cloud in the orbit of Canopus, so in the space region. Uh, so we're talking like nebula dust. Okay. And there is a correlation between when Arrakis moves through this dust cloud to when there is sort of like a Ice Age-like periods on the planet. Ice age like, like, yeah, like we're eliminating light or limiting light for it and just taking energy away that's going into oh. the system. So there probably is like a severe temperature drop. The Coriolis storms are probably less fierce. Things mm. like that are changing, but certainly it's not snowing. It's not, uh, no, it's not gonna get not. water. It's probably Would it be better or worse to go out on a spice gathering during if something like that happened. Yeah. I'd probably be worse. I just imagine it's probably bitter cold. On top of all the problems that you already have, uh, you know, like no moisture, none of this. Right, like, right. Oh, I mean, already there's going to be no moisture on the cold air. Like, it's just going to wick it out of you. So these are the encyclopedia is just meant to like give some extra knowledge and information based off of uh, these names and places yeah, we already know. Right? Yeah, I think it's kind of like letting uh, academics go wild with fan fiction. Go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they had to go within some bounds and some rules and right. make it all work, and you can't contradict anything to a degree. But uh, we, so we take it with a grain of salt, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. For how we're going to apply this into this universe. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't think there's anything useful for us to extrapolate on the ice age like period that occurs when it moves through a dust right. cloud, because we also don't know the time. Like it seems like that's probably a tens of thousands of years occurrence. So you said these are thing. Some of the information is from two thousand years in the future and four thousand years in the future. Yeah. How wide is the scope here? How far ahead are we going to sort of like look from the book where we're uh, uh, I, I think we have 15,000 years to go. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why? Does that even matter? Well, one guy lives for 3,500 years. So what? that skews the uh, scale a little bit. That's, I would say that sounds like Rogue Benny Jesuit talk, but you said he. So like, that's... It gets weird. <laughs> it gets weirding? 
<laughs> but let me continue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll just shut you down. I've, uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, like I said, once we hit God Emperor, all the exceptions come out, and the book gets really cool and really out there and a little mm-hmm. more heady. So that's where, uh, yeah, a lot of this history is like post that book. Right. That's going to be that book that really throws us in the future and lets us look back on the Dune days of our Halcyon days. Right, like, right, oh, right, right. Remember the good times on Arrakis? When wait, how, wait, wait, how far ahead is that one? How hard is what one? Uh, God Emperor. God Emperor? Uh, that's the one that takes us like 3,000. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, we, we would jump that's like... That's 3,000 years? Yep. In the future from like where we are now. And that's the fourth book? Yep. Yes, wait, how, how long does... Okay, wait, wait, wait. So wait... Just a sidebar, like, how long is the saga take place year-wise? You want to know, like, how, what's the time frame of each book? Like, it, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll go with it quick. Or, like, I mean, not of each book, but, like, from one to six. Like, we're, like, what's the time frame between those? One to six is, I think, roughly 101.91 is the year we're in now. Okay. And then I believe book six takes us to, like, the year 30,000. Wow. I'm pretty sure that's the last timeline entry I have in here in the encyclopedia. And then uh, Frank Herbert's two final books come out after the encyclopedia. So that's where Frank gets a little chance to be like, I'm changing a couple things here and there and overwrites the, uh, right. The book a little bit, man. So, Oh, I'm so Oh man. I got so many more questions. Now. You should, but I mean, we really, <laughs> yeah, I, it's not worth focusing on. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. You I, just this sort of like warped my mind for a moment there. Like what? There's a lot in this world. There's a okay. plenty to do. All right. All right. We'll approach one day at a time, Derek. One day. Yeah. Tell me about the, tell the fourth me. planet. <laughs> Actually, no. Tell me about the moon of Arrakis, the third moon. Tell me about the moons of my home world. Tell me about the moon, Usul. Yeah. So we got two moons left because we lost that third one. Right, uh, right, right, Which will remain unnamed. It's weird. They didn't even uh, give it a name posthumously. Was there like a picture on it? Because they're no. like, No. Oh, uh, might have been, but no. Like, uh, uh, so I have pictures of the other two in here, right, and right, right. I didn't get a picture of the third one. So, first moon, Krellin. K-R-E-L-L-N. Okay. I like that one. Uh, tiny little moon. It's uh, got a radius of 488 kilometers, okay. and uh, it orbits at about the same spot that our moon would have orbited. Uh, okay. It's not too far off. So it has, uh, it orbits every 25.5 days. So I think our moon That's is close. like 28 yeah. point something. Uh, right around there it is somewhat tidally locked so again very close similarity to our moon um and then it's basically uh got silicates in the crust uh and then a silicate mantle to the depth of uh 170 kilometers going down uh then there's a bunch of dust on it the dust covers it for about 11 centimeters the whole top layer of it gets kind of cool gives it this coloration and uh it never eclipses the sun just the way its orbit is, I guess. Oh. And the way the sun's orbit is. Suns. Suns. Uh, and this is the one that has the shape of a fist kind of uh, in the craters on right, it. Right, right, right. That was one of the pictures that we have. Mm-hmm. So we got two shapes on the moons. The second moon is called Arvon. A-R-V-O-N. Uh, so this is about half the size of that moon. This is going to be our smaller moon uh, that's orbiting around. And it is... Uh, closer in, it orbits at about a third of the distance. So it would, I wonder how visually that would look, how much bigger it would be compared to the other one uh, being that much closer uh, in an object going around. Uh, But it makes a circular orbit every 5.7 days and it eclipses Krellin every 547 days. So the two moons will line up uh, and that one, well, if it blocks it, then it's got to actually be visually bigger than it, right? 
Yeah, or yeah. the same, maybe. Yeah. No, actually, it doesn't, because an eclipse doesn't actually have to cover the whole thing. Okay, just got to move it. It just has to move it in front of it. Sweet. So that move in front, which that must be awesome. Uh, and be a little moment. And this one has a subterranean water and frozen carbon dioxide underneath its crust. That's uh, where all the water is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go there. <laughs> Get it out. And uh, they say it has uh, less craters because it has sort of this more fluid crustal layer because it has okay. water worked into it. Um, and that one has the image of a kangaroo mouse or a moadib, so to speak, uh, on the front of it. Uh, you got me with a lot of brain benders today, actually, Derek. <laughs> hey, oh, man, I'm glad. <laughs> White holes, time, <laughs> all things that aren't relevant to the chapter, though. <laughs> We're... <laughs> Taking you as far off track as I can. Oh, man. So we just got three more planets to roll through. Okay. We're going to go Extaris. We're at the fourth planet now. So this is the other one that's colloquially called the Twins that gives Arrakis its weird orbit. And uh, this one is really weird planet. It basically, um, oh, it's the, one of the smaller planetary bodies. And it has this atmosphere of like this heavy Xeon ice. And it says Ooh. it reflects back 97% of like the sun's radiation coming into it and incidental radiation. Because of this, it has like um, almost no weather effects in its lower atmosphere because there's no real change. It's got this almost circular orbit. So the intensity of the sunlight doesn't go too much. Mm -hmm. It's then reflecting back the rest of the sun's like attempt to heat it up. So just energy is not making it down to the planet. So it has like an almost benign weather system below it. Um, then this planet has five moons. Okay. Four of which normal as can be all circular orbits further out, further out, uh, which make them speculate that it was made from the same material as the planet. And they just called coalesced in place. Right. Then there's Aja. 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 Okay. Aja, our fifth moon. Aja is weird. Aja is in retrograde. So Aja is okay. spinning clockwise right, instead right, right. of, or it's Wait, going counterclockwise why? instead of clockwise. Do you think that that, oh, sorry. I'll and I got just one more. In that it has a, a 19 degree inclination. So they think for sure this one got caught by the moon. I was about to say, this sounds like a protoplanet that got caught in its orbit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then looking back through the records, we have no record of Aja's first uh, observation. So we don't know if it happened in the time of the Imperium. Hmm. You know, because that's 10,000, that's a good chunk of time that we can keep an eye on things. Uh, so we just, we don't know about that one. But I, I thought that was interesting. That was cool. Little uh, little protoplanet sneaking in and getting caught. Uh, you don't see that happen too often. Uh, and I think someone, just a scientist, happy to share that bit of information. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what it would be like if a system caught one. See how easy it is to spot all the clues? Uh, and it just stands out. The next planet, Ven. V-E-N. Okay. Ven is the giant of the system. Now, if we were to set aside Ven, Canopus, and Canopus B, we would have 99% of the mass in this system right there. It's Ven and those two stars. They are almost everything. And they literally say this is the mass of this planet is the li threshold limit between when a planet becomes a star. What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it's like it's a terrestrial world that's captured this gas cloud around it like a gas giant. But there is like a rock at the core of it. And that it's just built up. It's I don't know. Yeah. Where all this comes from that maybe that kind of gas cloud in the system. Well, no, because, okay, that makes 
sense because uh, even gas giants have are uh, are something in the middle. I think it was uh, there's like a theory on I think it was either Saturn or Jupiter having like a a helium crystal core. Ooh, really? Yeah, I'll have to look into that for you. But well, I'll get. We actually are going to touch on a helium core on the last planet. Oh, yeah. So one other little bit about Ven though before I leave you. Ven comes with a great little, um, like a D&D story hook on Okay. So, Ven emits radiation on the infrared spectrum. Okay. Uh, but when you tune a device to, like, look at it, you notice it's not evenly distributed across the planet. You're like, okay, that's weird. Let's look at that. And further analysis points you at three different spots on this planet that are emitting this radiation particularly. No probe has ever made it down to identify the sources of this radiation. They speculate that it is something was put there by intelligent design in the eons past, possibly Ooh. as a navigation beacon. Whoa. Yeah. But they so, haven't been able to send anyone to check it out. No probes have ever made it down there. And so they're not, like, not going to send ships down there. Oh, no. no like we've, we've tried. Yeah, obviously it is a probe specifically meant to make that journey. And nope, not going to do it. Pressure is too intense. Wow. Uh, just the natural it's kind of a systems cool in idea. that. So yeah, a little interesting kind of thing. And that reminds me very much of uh, our first discovery of the quasar was, uh, I think, in, was that in the 60s? Oh, I don't actually know that one. Oh, I don't know if it'd be before Frank, but it was like uh, we found that radiation, they spin so rapidly, mm-hmm. and we found this pulsating like right, radio right. Almost frequency. Almost like a lighthouse beacon. Yeah, and we're just like, what else could that be? It's so um, like mathematically sound. This mm-hmm. has to be created by some person or some intelligence. And nope, just a star. <laughs> really cool star, just a star. But it's cool, like in this sense, that they apply that to the idea like what if. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going one step further. I'm like, cool, let's put it in a stranger setting and like now it's in the system and like why this gas giant like of all these uninhabitable sort of worlds Mm -hmm. uh which i think it's even fair to call arrakis uninhabitable to an extent so that one is left with a great little hook and i got my last planet for you okay ravona ravona r-e-v-o-n-a space name that totally is space i mean all of them have been space names yeah yeah x-taris yeah it's pretty good um so this is our smallest outer, outermost planet, and it is composed entirely of helium in different phase states. Ah, there you go. Helium atmosphere crushes down to a little helium uh, pools of ocean to a helium mantle. And then in the center, they aren't sure. They've never gotten anything down there, but they speculate that it would be helium in this supra-metallic state. So, yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Supra-metallic. Isn't that awesome? So, uh, and the fact that they made everything in that helium where it's like somebody just wanted to play with that idea of like, can I do this? Well, that would have to be like incredibly like dynamic differences in heat between them, I feel. Like what is the the melting point of helium? I don't know. Like, wouldn't it be less? I I mean, I don't know. Than other atoms? Because it's so high up on the periodic table. It it totally could be. I I don't know for sure. That's like something out of my knowledge base. Oh. But, like, you'd have to have that across, like, all the, the bases there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, like, that pressure pushing down on it. And then whatever strange effects uh, from the system we can chalk up to, like, the radiation and stuff. Um, not sure. But really cool. That is the system. No trees. I didn't catch no anything. No trees. <laughs> I, I didn't see any trees. <laughs> didn't see anything. 
<laughs> I think the mystery has been solved. The one question we had going into this. <laughs> Thoroughly threshed out. Definitely not from this system. <laughs> but that third moon could have had trees. We don't know. If you want a beam of pure helium, <laughs> we can just see Mapes benching this thing. <laughs> I bet she could. She seems like a very strong woman. Yeah. Uh, but I think that brings me to the close for my deep dive for you this week. That was wonderful, Derek. Wow. Yeah, that was more than I thought I was actually ever going to learn about the... Uh, about everything but this chapter. System. Yeah. <laughs> All for one beam of wood. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait a second. Sure. I thought I heard something. Guess what just came in the mail? My, my thing? Oh, wait. Oh. The glossary oh, game! Son of a bitch. <laughs> That's good. Oh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting. I was trying to think, like, how am I going to get them today? <laughs> that was a long walk for a small drink of water, Mike. Well, I had to make it seem convincing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I, I should have started mumbling to myself. You know what? The water is always worth it. <laughs> That's what I've learned in this book. So... Last week. Last week. Last week. Let's we had talk last week, a bit like. of debate over uh, a specific word. Mm-hmm. That word being Servok. Servok. Uh, the glossary's definition, a clock set mechanism to perform simple tasks. One of the limited automatic devices permitted after the Butlerian Jihad. I think I'm going to give it to you. Oh, happy days. Hallelujah. Just in the spirit of the game, I'm going to give it to you. But... I reserved the right to take that point back if we come across a Servok in here and it doesn't seem to match your definition, like, in the least bit. Interesting. Interesting. What was my exact definition last time? So your definition was uh, a little bit different from the glossaries, but... Acceptable? It's maybe. It depends on the context of it, I guess. Okay. So it's just because I don't know the book enough. I guess. Okay. So uh, I'm going to, uh, that's why I, 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 I agree a- to your bargain. Okay. But I want to negoti- negotiate you down to a half point. Oh, okay. And I want to, okay, I want to yield. I want that's going to keep me on the edge and maybe stop this game from sliding right. back on me too All far. Right, okay. We'll get into the decimals. <laughs> so if we find that it doesn't match up, we'll just trade. I'll take one, a uh, half of your take point. A, take a half point away. Yeah. All right. But until then, we're going to go ahead and, Tie it up there. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I, right. uh, that, was a, that was a good word and a good stretch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I applaud myself for <laughs> making that connection with the uh, using the encyclopedia to kind of get my way through. That. Right. Uh, that was great. And your, your definition was like. Uh, so I described both the servitors for the Atreides house uh, to kind of build up that I thought it was a maintenance machine that would control either like um, a uh, the house or a, a whole structure kind mm. of thing. Um, and then, yeah, failed to be any more specific than that. Right. And so, I mean, you could be right, but I don't know for sure. So I'm just going to hold you to that. That's going to be, uh, on the Anubis scale for a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, so Servok was, you got it. Kay. You got it for, for now you got it. And now I don't remember what the other word was oh. last week. Oh, it was a great one. Part of a uh, system I'm growing more and more fond of. <laughs> oh, yeah? It is uh, Schlag. Schlag. <laughs> An animal native to Tupile, once hunted almost to extinction for its thin, tough hide. Oh, my God. Tupile you... is just the bane of your existence. <laughs> it really is. Because I'm not a renegade, Mike. <laughs> I stand my ground. <laughs> I'm an old imperial dog through and through. Uh, yeah. So, Schlag, that was the one that I nailed you on. Uh, I was happy with it. So, we are now tied up. 
nine nine perpetually it perpetually. seems <laughs> so this week's words we got some new ones i'm not quite sure the pronunciation of the first one but i'm gonna do my best shahaya sihaya shihaya uh, it could be sihaya but it's s-h-i-y-a-n-a or, yeah h-a-y-a oh wait, wait. uh sihaya could i just get a hint okay um I think like I think I know, but I do wanna I just wanna kinda cover my bases a little so bit. So it's a Fremen word, okay. which you probably guessed. All right. Uh maybe maybe I'll lean into walk you in before you get a hint to it. I feel like you don't want to say something because you feel like you don't have much wiggle room to say a good hint for. Um It's it, a term with religious overtones. Okay. Um Oh man, so now I'm confusing, I think, two words. <laughs> Did I make it harder with that? No, hint? no, I think I made it harder for myself. <laughs> Could you spell it one more time for yeah. me? S H I H A Y A. Okay, so there is a word I'm thinking about that um, Paul ends up using it. So remember that girl he meets in the, in the dream? Oh, yeah, in the vision. Fremen girl. He yeah. has like a pet name for her, and it is like uh, the Fremen word for springtime. Okay. And but I don't think it's that. All right. But it's very similar enough that it's confusing me really bad right now in my head. <laughs> I'm and cur- I'm kind of a pitching him saying it. I'm curious but, to know what your second one is now. Oh wait, you said Sihaya? You didn't say like Siadina? There's no D in the end. No, one. okay. One more time. because uh, again I, I might be butchering the pronunciation. It's S H I H A Y A. Okay. So yeah, I'm gonna commit to like Paul's pet name for his Chani. What was the second one that you had? The, Wait, what's her name? The second definition that I had? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll find out in post. <laughs> you're going to edit it. I know <laughs> it's going to come out. Uh, I said the name Chaney. Is, uh, that's going to be that friend girl that we meet. It's not a uh, you know, 60-year-old book. <laughs> we can spoil <laughs> yeah. a few things on that's the spot. Fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it is like the Fremen word for like, uh, I want to say like a spring or a spring breeze or like hey i don't think it's like the coming dawn or anything but you said it was sort of religious overtone mm-hmm. um i'm thinking yeah like the dawn like a dawning uh revival kind of aspect of spring and the renewal of life sort okay. of what i'm leaning towards how, how is that yeah i'm gonna give it to you oh ding, so ding, 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 ding. it's a fremen word meaning the desert springtime ah with, yes with okay. religious overtones implying the time of fruitfulness and the paradise to come I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd, I mean, paradise to come, you missed me on, but I described spring pretty well. I was well. really <laughs> hoping you tell me that second one and talk oh. yourself into it, though. <laughs> oh, no. Held back. <laughs> Trust your gut. You would have liked the other one, though. Other uh, one, Mike? Borderline Bene Gesserit. Uh, Moving on. Second word. All right. oh, I'm so glad with that uh, one. Thank you. I don't feel very confident now. Uh, bled. <laughs> Past tense, it did bleed. Easy. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Point for Derek. <laughs> we use a Merriam-Webster now. <laughs> So that is, uh, I assume, B-L-E-D. B-L-E-D. And uh, I oh, I don't know the definition definition for this, but I think it is like an expanse of, it's going to just be like dried. I mean, obvi- I, I want to say sand, but it's going to be like some form of sand. But mm-hmm. I can't decide if it's like a rock bed or just like a long flat uh, salt bed kind of area in the desert. Uh, I'm going to kind of lean towards salt bed. It's what I feel like I want to say. Uh, out in yeah, wide expanse, kind of in the dunes. All right. Um, 
Ding, ding, ding. Point for Derek. Ooh, is it salt in particular? It's, it's not specifically salt. It's okay. a flat, open desert. Okay. So okay. it doesn't matter what's there. So it's a broad you, you, term. You know, yeah. yeah. You nailed the fact that it was, you know, wide open in the desert. Uh, it doesn't really matter what it's made up of. Okay, cool. Yeah, they always kind of say like uh, the open bled mm-hmm. that you traverse or cross. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously it's always dangerous. Never, because you're, you're, so, yeah. you're so visible. That's the problem. Uh, you can see them from miles and miles away. Damn, Derek, that's going to make it Mike, in your favor. Mike, guess who's not worried about that half point no more? Oh. This guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you live up to those words <laughs> when we get to the final questions. <laughs> oh, and Schlag comes back for a second time. Because honestly, if you would have asked me that word, I would not have remembered it. <laughs> think i boarded up that memory so i don't have to acknowledge it ever came about well Derek, as unsatisfied as i am now with this glossary game i think that's <laughs> gonna do it for us this week that will uh thank you so much for that one i'm uh, glad i pulled ahead oh man <laughs> having that uh wrap us up for it we gotta i guess it's time for us to reach out to the people mike and if they have any questions <laughs> for us they know a wine that we could afford. Yeah. You know where to find us. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Spice World Pod. We got an email at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And we have our itty bitty website, SpiceWorldPod.com. We really need to add more to it. It's yeah, really the last but not least. Uh, yeah, it needs it needs some show note love. Yeah, we we just, we are not great web developers. No, uh, we Take have... that with a grain of salt. <laughs> is, uh, we just much... barely became podcasters. Let's... I was going to say, uh, it's about equal with our linguistic skills. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which we exercise so well in chapter three. Oh, dear Lord. I have to, I have to spell all my glossary game words to you because I can't yeah. even say them right. Makes it easier, Mike. Don't worry. It, gives, it buys me time. I find time when I'm playing with things oh, in my head. Man. So next week, what are we? We're on chapter... We're on chapter 10, 10 Mike. Double digits. All right. So we, you, we alluded a little bit of what's going to happen next week. Yeah. I mean, by default, I'm just going to tell you, things are about to get weird. Weird. The weirding room. The weirding room. Oh, the weirding room. Yeah. Uh, weird in a Bene Gesserit kind of way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A little bit of a warning. We're going to see, find out what's uh, beyond. It's going to be an oval door, too. A weird door into a weird room. Uh, and it's going to be a very, a very Jessica chapter. Mm, which okay. are always, always fun. All right. But I don't want to allude to too much else that's going to take place. Uh, it's nice that we're really exploring this house, though. We've yeah. seen well more than two rooms. We've been in hallways. We've been in bedrooms. No, we've actually only been to two rooms. Mm, okay. Yeah. Oh, three. Three, three. We were in the Great Hall. The side room and the bedroom. <laughs> okay. Okay, had, you uh, got me. We had to chicken on Yui before he took his nap. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but uh, I think all that's going to have to wait, Mike, till next week. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate uh, all the insight. And thanks for all that research into the system. That was wild. My A, hey, thanks for following me along on that trail. Because <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of off-topic stuff today. Yeah. And I didn't know where <laughs> else we were going to fit it in this book. So some things we just got to have those, happen. Those micro chapters, we got to save it for those little tidbits. <laughs> yeah, <there>. yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be another one because I don't dare say they won't be. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, the The spice spice must flow. flow. Woo! (laughs) Man, first try. Until next time. Until next time. (laughs) The spice spice must flow. flow. Fuck that up. (laughs) (laughs) It's not our best.
<laughs> no. That was on you. I jumped the gun. I know. I know. Can we redo the uh, yeah. until next? So. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. We're done. One more. Okay. Right. I just I was waiting for the signal because clearly we needed a signal. It's because where's my glass? I don't even. <gasps> That's. Is that what? Uh, another. Yeah. Oh, I put it over here. Whew. When I had to look up your stupid words. <laughs>